Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash. So the suburbs were a darkly funny setting in the burbs on Monday, but today they're just dark as Tim Robbins' homegrown terrorist lures a hapless Jeff Bridges into his murderous web. From 1999, we're taking a trip down Arlington Road. I've got a possible name change. The death certificate, what, what does it say? He's changed his name. To the name of a person who died the day before? Yeah, why? You do it to hide the person you were. Hi, neighbor. His name is Oliver Lane. I didn't know you taught a course in terrorism. Michael, that's a pretty frightening subject. It deals with extremist groups. Seems he got one everywhere. Are you listening Your to me? Your neighbor is a terrorist that has been blowing up buildings. There is a blueprint in his house he does not want me to see. Well, have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Where's my son? Where's Grant? Where is he? <laughs> I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? Excellent. Really well. Yeah. Stressed by that. This is such a stressful. I can't believe you picked that bit. Uh, I thought I'd pick that bit because this it's a stressful movie. So stressful. Uh, but and yet, I know I asked you on Monday why you'd picked uh, this mm-hmm. pairing. But Arlington Road is a big movie for you, isn't it? It's massive. Mm. <laughs> yeah, mm. it's really. Should I just tell this? you? Yeah. So right back in the day when I was at Goldsmiths, I wrote an essay about Arlington Road, but. I can't remember why. So this is, I know it's really bad. So I did about 10,000 words on Arlington Road and I also did the same on the net. Mm. So back in the day, I was linking films long before any of this bullshit came along, it turns out. You're welcome. (laughs) But the thing is, I just genuinely have no idea why. You don't have to be on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Don't I, Chris? I I know, it's not that you're making any money from it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I just don't know. I don't know what came first. Did I see it and I was like, I want to write about it? Or did I think I was trying to find a reason or what someone suggested? I have no idea. But then I thought, so I did the timeline. I might just be, which would be weird, but possible a Mark Pellington super fan because at the same time I was working at the Audion in Leicester Square and I've seen the Mothman prophecies <laughs> over 15 times. So I just spent this portion of my life picking up old Maltesers after the Mothman prophecies and watching Arlington Road and I've seen Arlington Road for this essay of 10 to 15 times easily. Wow. It's did, madness. Did you not say it was, did you not, you think it's like almost the perfect script? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do think that yeah. because it just reels you in and then, and also, but it's a popcorn film. I'm not saying it's like, He's going to like turn any of your heads at award season. How's but... that fence you're sitting on? <laughs> I, just, I just mean, for a popcorn thriller, it's fucking brilliant. Right. And you can't deny that. You can't. Do you not like it? I didn't say that. Saving it for the verdict, Chris. <laughs> Saving it for the verdict. Um, now, I've just really put two and two together. What? Because I was, I was, I looked up Mark Pellington, and I was like, "Oh, the Mothman prophecies." Mm. I remember going to the Odeon in Leicester Square to see that, and being <laughs> dropping the- food on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I was the only person in the screening room, and I'm wondering whether you let me in for free. <laughs> I must have been sat behind you. I used to sit at the top and read and do work. For but we knew each other when the yeah, Mothman prophecies so came out. Would it have been weird to sit next to you, just me and you, and just be like, enjoy the movie, <laughs> like? But we know each other in this situation. Yeah, we situation. know each other, but then... So I must have let you in for free, but don't say that, I'll get fired. <laughs> you won't have to let people in for free. <laughs> were, you, were you not? No. <laughs> they, they had to tell you that, though. Look, the thing is, if you went to see the Mothman Prophecies at the Odeon Leicester Square, I was there, 100%. Wow, that's crazy, yeah. It, well, it wasn't... It was in playing in one of the smaller rooms up top. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought, oh, that's so weird. I thought I was the only person in the room, but then I did hear a rustling at the back, which is probably you. Me eating the old Maltesers. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. not joking. <laughs> It's a terrible film, though. I can't remember much about it, but I didn't like it. No, it's not good. It's not good. Uh, Okay, so uh, very quickly, before we get into uh, the Mothman prophecies, no, Arlington Road, uh, if you haven't subscribed to us, please do, uh, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can, do leave us a rating and a review. And if you do leave a review, it might get read out on the show by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a bit like this. There's some Kylo Zen. Oh, I saw this. Yeah. Something interesting going on here. So he says... uh, one of my favorite, one of my new favorite pods. Love the premise of this, and the chemistry between the three is brilliant. Can't wait for more! Exclamation mark. Then he's done an edit, so I think that was an old yeah, review. Yeah, and he's gone in, and I didn't know you could edit your own reviews. Yeah, I didn't either, but you can because I've seen it elsewhere. But yeah, this is a he's re, he's updated his review when he was one of the very first people about two years ago, or uh, they were one of the very first people. Yeah. To write a review. And the edit says, uh, still one of my favourite podcasts. I've spent so many hours listening to some of my favourite films pitted against each other and learning things I didn't realise or seeing films from different perspectives. Must listen to for any film fan or any fan of just good, intelligent and funny banter. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being our first double reviewer. Yeah. <laughs> Intelligent over there, Victoria. Oh, thank and you. And funny over here. Oh, great. Yeah. Chris, what'd you do? <laughs> Good. Good was the third word. <laughs> so on Monday, I had your back on the cul-de-sac. And today, Chris Tilly is stealing your child and worse in Arlington Road. Chris takes on a journey. Arlington Road revolves around a brave patriot who plans to punish government for their corrupt actions. But his neighbour, who is battling his own demons, wants to put a stop to that plan. Their ideological opposition puts them on a collision course which threatens to turn proceedings dark. 
But then the film has a happy ending, with our hero framing said neighbour, blowing up the baddies and making America great again. Wow. Careful, honestly. Yeah, you see, I know you said on Monday, uh, oh, you're not going to like my intro. Uh, you were right. That's uh, it's worrying. Uh, and done with such conviction. I'm just having a bit of fun. And just having a bit, he's having a bit of fun. He really, I don't think he really believes that. <laughs> so it's funny, Vicky, you said just now that this script wasn't going to turn any heads during award season because how this all kicked off was this script won an award. Right. Uh, it won the Nicole Fellowship from the such Academy. A, such a long way of saying you're wrong. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I can take it. It won the Nicole Fellowship from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Wow. So that is the biggest screenwriting prize. Wow. Um, it's, the previous winners include Finding Forrester, Mean Creek, Short Term 12, and weirdly, Season of the Witch. <laughs> I love that movie. Do you? The Nick Cage movie? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Do you? I'll come, I'll, I'll, Matt, I could watch Nick Cage doing anything. This is, I, this is, this is exactly the kind of Nick Cage movie I want, where someone's gone. Nick Cage is still making big movies. Let's spend, let's spend a lot of money on the production of this movie. It looks expensive. Well, we'll talk after because there's a film I want to pair, and it would pair well with that. Oh my god, what is it? Let's not talk about oh, it now. Fine. But yeah, if you've seen Season of the Witch, Victoria, mm, no. oh, I'd like it. Yeah, if you've watched the Mothman Prophecies fifteen times, <laughs> you can make space for Season of the Witch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Aaron Kruger wrote the script, and uh, the, the the thinking behind that award is you can only win it if you haven't had anything produced yet. Right. Okay. Which is amazing because he did go on to have a huge career. He mm. wrote two Ring movies, he wrote three Transformers movies, and he has the new Top Gun movie coming out soon. Brilliant. So yeah, it won the award, which. Generated interest. Wish I hadn't used all the ink printing that information out. Look at that. There's three different colours of ink there. I printed out the whole Erin Kruger, mm-hmm. all his movies. And you can see the the magenta's starting to fade. So ink's expensive for a printer. I just knew Chris was going to do that. Apologies for doing my job. It's all right. Um, You're forgiven. Uh, so director Mark Pellington read the script, liked it, and uh, a bit like the Burbs, on Monday, he put together a deal quite quickly. Um, the only real bit of interest, I think, behind the scenes here is Tim Robbins uh, was the first actor hired and he had trouble deciding which role he wanted to play. He was offered both roles. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm glad he picked the one he did. Yeah, he said that he'd always he'd, he'd fancied doing a villain like that. And mm-hmm. so he, he, he went for that and contractually, his name was supposed to be first in the credits and on the posters. But bless him, once Jeff Bridges was cast, he said, no, you, your name should go first. So... You don't often hear that in Hollywood, where people <laughs> insist on the other person having top billing. You don't. But we'll talk. You were t- telling me earlier about uh, another example of why it should be Jeff Bridges first in terms of the trailer. Yes, indeed. Um, and then they went through quite a long um, rehearsal uh, period, which you don't normally get that opportunity on films. And Erin Kruger sat in with them on the rehearsals, recorded all the improvisation they did around his script, and then completely rewrote the script based on uh, the actors and what they brought to the table. That's great. I mean, I know they do that, well, the the best people do that for TV a lot, sitcoms especially. I remember watching some roundtable reads of Blackadder, which the the whole thing was just rewritten, watching Baldrick and Tony Robinson and uh, Mm. Hugh Laurie and Ron Atkinson just improvise around the script. And in this instance, it was I I think that the Brooke character is the one that changed the most, played by Hope Davis, because she said none of them could figure out who that character was Mm -hmm. when they read the script, including Erin Kruger. He was like, I've... I've not got. I've not nailed this one, and so they developed that character and gave her a bit more. That's interesting because I think she's still underserved yeah. and uh, the weak link in this film. Interesting. 
And that's all I've got on the background to this one. Or you're not excited about one piece of news, Victoria? Who knows whether it's... Uh, about the TV show. Yeah. yeah. They're making, well, they're in talks to develop a TV show for the new Paramount streaming service, Paramount Plus. Uh, this comes from April this year. This was announced and it is Pellington is mm. set to direct the potential series. Okay. Yeah, the guy that did The Alienist is um, mm. co executive Alienist is really good. I could see this working. Have you watched both seasons? I've watched the first. I only watched the first season. Yeah, I watched the first one. I liked it. Yeah, not, it enough to, not enough to watch the second season. Yeah, I kind of felt the same. <laughs> yeah. kind of feel the same. It felt, like, it felt like it should have been a season long, like a limited series. Yeah. And that'll do, but no. I, I mean, I'm saying that without seeing the second season, so I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. It'll be interesting to see, because obviously a lot's changed in the world since Arlington Road came out. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in. I will say this. I mean, I know you're a fan of Arlington Road. Uh, Roger Ebert, uh, the uh, the critic, says, Arlington Road is a thriller that contains ideas. Any movie with ideas is likely to attract audiences who have ideas of their own. But to think for a second about the logic of this plot is fatal. Well, I see what he's saying. I agree with him. Mm. But there is another argument, isn't there? We'll get into it. There's a lot of coincidences, but yes. maybe it's all on purpose. I've, I've... Yeah, I wrote that down. Less coincidence to me, but I've, I've written the word convenient more often than I've ever written that word before in terms but of... We'll, we'll get there, but the, the reason why I think the script is so good is you are, you're fed on a certain like track, you, mm. you're encouraged to think one thing and then encouraged to think another, often in the same scene, and that's very clever mm. because normally you would like sandwich those scenes, wouldn't you? He, he's up to something, he's not up to something, he's up to something. And there's a really good scene that we'll talk about later with the kids where you, oh, that's a, a great example. Just for the record, because I wasn't asked today for some reason, but my history with this oh, movie sorry. is... <laughs> well, you uh, sat behind me. Uh, in the... <laughs> is, uh, I was on my own in the Odeon cinema. <laughs> Uh, no, I just, I, it was weird watching it again because I've, I've definitely seen it. Um, mm. And I remember the end uh, and being absolutely, and no pun intended, Maybe blown you away told me by to the watch end. It because I've, like I said, I genuinely have seen it like 15 times, put it on in the week. I was like, Mark, we're going to watch Arlington Road again. He's like, what do you mean again? I was like, do you remember when I wrote that essay and I did the net as well? And he was like, mm. don't know what you're talking about. So then I got worried that maybe I've dreamt the whole thing. It's none of it's real. He swears blind he hasn't seen this film. So who did I watch it 15 times with? Don't know, but what time are you home for dinner tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I haven't said my history with it either, but. Um... <laughs> I, I think it was a poor choice of words from Alex saying he was blown away by the end. <laughs> it was but, but I agree. I'm, I'm exactly the same. Watched it on video and thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, because of that ending. Genuinely. And, and I've because... not seen anything like it. I couldn't believe it. It was it was one of the few times when my jaw was on the floor and yeah. I was just like, what have I just... Yes. That cannot be the ending. Yeah. I, lo I love a twist and I love I love being duped. Yeah. And this duped me. It's brutal. There's, Very like, effective. There's this and Seven, uh, which are the two movies yeah. where you just sort of go, oh, fuck. And yeah. it stays with you. I can't believe they don't do this more. And no. I think what's interesting about it here is it works thematically as well because Jeff Bridges is playing a character who's only seeing what he wants to see. Yes. And that's where he goes wrong. And as an audience, we're doing the same thing. We're falling into the same trap. Yeah. By buying that we're watching this action movie hero yeah. at the end. But and also, Jeff Bridges' character is about... That's why the scene where... So first of all, when he's teaching, he's like, look out, terrorists are everywhere. You know, the government say that they're not, but they're everywhere. That's basically what he's saying to the class. Like, mm. there, there is like the sort of sleeper cell kind of thing. Then later, when he's talking about his wife, he's like, the flags went up for the wrong reason. So his character isn't about, no one believes me, I'm saying this thing and no one believes me, and that terrorists are everywhere, which would work because they're his neighbours and no one would believe him and all the rest of it. But the character is about nuance and trying to see the full picture and get all the facts before you make a decision and like exactly like you say that is not what we do as the audience we mm. just we think we're on one narrative track and we're not mm. 
That's why it's so good. Beautiful. Okay, let's talk about the film. Um, and we'll kick off with a scene that the director on the commentary calls, he calls the opening of the film, The Bloody Child. So we're in the suburbs of Washington and there is a kid uh, stumbling down the street and our hero, Jeff Bridges, playing Michael Faraday, finds him. And it's all kind of out of focus. And, and, it's uh, like a war movie. That's what it's like. It's like the fog of war because of the tinnitus and the, you can't see what he's doing. He's been in a war, that kid, which works later. And Paddington says it's slightly frustrating because watching it in a cinema with an audience, everyone's shouting out that the focus isn't working on the film. <laughs> really? Yeah, at <laughs> uh, uh, the screenings he went to. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to be a dream sequence because it's shot like a dream sequence as well. I thought it might be a memory. The first that's, sorry, that's what yeah. I mean. Like he was flashing back to something yeah. and then Jeff Bridges was going to wake up and go... Yeah. <gasps> it's all very disorienting and we realise the child has most of his hand missing. And... It grabs you, doesn't it? It grabs you by the proverbial. So I alluded to this in my uh, intro mm, on Monday. You did. Which, I nearly called you out on it. Which is, I, my question is, mm. has Tim Robbins, uh, have Tim Robbins and uh, Joan Cusack, is it? Yeah. Uh, have they done this to their son on purpose, assuming he is their son, as a way of luring Faraday into their lives. I wonder, if he isn't their son, which is something we'll talk about later, it would be cool as fuck if he wasn't their son, mm. then yes. If he is their son, maybe not, because they are a wholesome family in their own weird way. But they've been looking, in my head, they were looking for something to get Jeff Bridges' attention. Mm. This accident happens and they're like, well, that'll do. So they send him off down the street, but they're kind of there waiting just in case he doesn't take him to hospital, maybe. Right. That's what I think. How they know he's going to come around the corner at that time. Because they're, they're watching him. They know just, every movement. Yeah, of course. They've probably got spotters out yeah, on the yeah. route. I, 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 there's a part of me, and I think it really works with just how, I think it really works with understanding just how the conviction and the belief of Tim Robbins and what he wants to do, that it, it that they've done this on purpose to the child, possibly their own son, to do to get um, Jeff Bridges involved. I, I think it, it makes you go, that's conviction. Because if he is their son, he later on, and you do believe him, he's like, this is a war and children die in a war. And you think, oh, okay, so does that mean you would sacrifice your own child? But pro you probably would mm. because you believe this so much. So blowing his hand off would be nothing to you. Mm -hmm. I'm still not sure. I kind of wish that this film had made it explicit one way or the other. And in the in the in the commentary, it's it's Pellington Bridges. They don't say that at all. They don't they don't go down that route in terms of that opening scene being something that's been set up. I mean, the only reason to go, it was it's, it was just an accident. Is the idea that Jeff Bridges does at one point sort of become a little bit interested in like fireworks don't do that mm -hmm. like that's an explosive that's done that yeah. which is almost sort of like giving him mm. you know evidence that they might be up to something very early on because mm. they also established that it's not Halloween so why would that's sorry fireworks? that's the line yes. yeah yeah so then we're into the opening credits which I wrote down feels like uh, Seven has been an influence on these opening credits <laughs> unbelievable and, and then on the commentary they said yeah we got the guy who did the Seven opening credits to do this <laughs> It's so he crazy. gets around, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, we talked about it the other day. Minority Report. Minority Report. Yeah, yeah I think he just had a, had a good sort good of run. 90s into the 2000s. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's cool. It sets up little things like surveillance and, the, you know, it's sort of suggesting that there is, there's some danger lurking in suburbia. So I don't know. They've dated. Like, I yeah. will say, if the, the, this of everything in this film, that's the only bit that makes me go, I'm watching a movie from the uh, late 90s. Yeah. But then we meet the Langs for the first time, play, as you said, by uh, Tim Robbins and Joan Cusack, and they're in shadow. 
the first time we see them. They're in darkness. The film is telling us right from the most, the, the opening scene that they're villains, but obviously you're not probably going to catch that the first time you watch it. And yeah, as you say, he blames it, uh, the dad blames it on a super rocket. But again, it's so brilliant watching it the second time. That's why I was excited because I'd only seen it once before. And it's one of those films you think, yeah, I can't wait to, I will watch that again one day because yeah. it'll be a different viewing. And he, he feels, Oliver Lang feels so insincere here. Like you can tell he's more worried about getting caught yeah. than he is about his son being hurt. So because again, you know I always say too much detail. When you lie, you tell you say too much because you want to seem sincere. So mm. he overdoes it about oh and he's in the park and doing this and if that had really happened to you, you wouldn't yeah. say anything. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I learned that because when I used to lie about, about yeah, <laughs> no, genuinely when I didn't want to do something on text and I'd committed to something I'd write a massive essay about why I couldn't do it and how sorry I was. Mm-hmm. And then I realised that that is exactly... When I receive those messages, I'm like, bullshit. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just like, yeah, I can't make it. Which is rude, but actually seems like sincere. Yeah. <laughs> Even mm-hmm. though it's a lie. Oh. I look forward to getting one of those log emails from you maybe <laughs> one day. Uh, and then we now we get some backstory for our characters. So we learn that the Langs have lived in that street for two months. Oliver Lang grew up on a farm in Kansas. He went to university there. Um, and he's now a structural engineer working on the local mall. Mm. That's his story, and he's sticking to it. And as for Michael, uh, his wife died two years previous um, for her country. She was an FBI agent, and she was killed uh, in the line of duty. That flashback's horrible, where she dies. Yeah. We're not there yet, though. We okay. are not there, Alex. Uh, he now teaches uh, American terrorism in quite intense fashion. Sure. In a, in... It is a bit more. <laughs> yeah. A bit. He fucking. When like... he grabs that girl, he's like, what do you think about something? She's like, I don't fucking her. know. He frightens her. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's describing the Oklahoma City bombing and a bit about being, you know, the news saying it was one man and the police saying it was one man, no conspirators. He's not buying it. Um, but America was safe again as far as we were concerned and that's what we needed to hear apparently. We need someone to blame. We need one name. We need it fast. It doesn't and th- seem like a real... Teachers... Are teachers allowed to, to do that? Is it not like... Oh, I'm saying... You know, he does. He, he literally goes, they're lying. Yeah, I think you're supposed to present the facts. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, he says, he says we need one name, one person to give us our security back. So he's essentially setting out the ending and describing his own demise in this opening schoolroom scene, which mm. is beautifully uh, written. So uh, now we sort of get some clues um, as to what's going on. Michael starts smelling a rat. Or we do, like, it's a bit weird when the kids are playing and it's a soldier's compound they've created yeah. and the the, the, the the Lang's son is talking about classified information. He's talking like <laughs> yeah. a soldier. And you're like, you just start thinking, this is the stuff that's slightly off. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it, Michael's seeing it. And then uh, the letter shows up from University of Pennsylvania. Oliver's told us he went to the University of Kansas. Now, this is intentional. This is the Langs doing this on purpose. I think so. Right. I yeah. think that now, but I have seen it a thousand times, but I do. I still think that watching it fresh. Like, okay. they, need, they need him to start investigating them, I guess. Uh, he catches a look at the, the mall blueprint and it's not a mall, it's an office blueprint. Again, uh, these these people are too clever. They wouldn't just leave that line no, exactly. around while taking a so phone like, call. So later on, it's only a small thing, but like when he finds the blueprint hidden behind the St. Louis Arch, if you really were hiding something from someone, you wouldn't hide it behind another picture. He's done it on purpose. So it looks hidden. Yeah. And in your sort of panicked mind, it 
looks well enough hidden that you weren't supposed to find it. But obviously, you wouldn't ever put it there. No. It's a stupid place to put some. And we have this dinner party where we sort of fade in and fade out of the couple's conversation. That was really, really well done. I loved mm. that. Mm. Like, really theatrical. I thought it was brilliant. And I think that all came out of their improvisation where he'd written one scene, Aaron Kruger, but when they got together, they kind of figured out a more interesting way of, I guess, the the Langs feeling Faraday out or they're not feeling out because they've already made the decision, I guess, but they're um they're seeding little ideas. But they're trying to find out how easy it's going to be for them. Because right. if they say, what do you think? Do you think we should build the government up? I'm like, God, fuck yeah, I do actually. Like, great. Like, what join the party. Does he say the uh, you can expect the government to be accountable? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Oliver wants to put politicians in jail, whereas Michael says he just wants them to be accountable and he wants someone to admit they made a mistake regarding his wife's mm. death. Um, Did you notice Tim Robinson was drinking milk as well? No. I, yeah, I did. <laughs> so That is wholesome. That's wholesome. So again, in the same scene, you're like, but he's a good person because he's not drinking booze. But then I think we get one of the creepiest scenes in the film, which I didn't appreciate as much until I actually watched it with the commentary on where Jeff Bridges was talking about it, where they're at the batting cage. Oh my God, I'm so glad you said that. This is the one I want to talk about. Okay, yeah, yeah. You say, say what you've got to say. So uh, Oliver is bonding with Michael's son and, and the words I write down is sort of, there's self-righteousness to him and there's sort of a friendly menace is how yeah. I describe the way Robbins is acting. Uh, Bridges says that what he what they're trying to do here is is Oliver's preying on his feelings of inadequacy as a father. Yes, of course. And he's trying to trigger something that sparks a fire in Michael to really not sort of start this investigation Yeah, because then you've let your child down. Well, and also he's sown the seeds for later on where he chases the van or the van that he thinks is the van into the building because he thinks his son is in the back. So of course, he's yeah. yeah, right, okay, cool. I think it's it's and if the other on the other level, is Oliver up to something or not? Um so when he's saying to Michael, Oh, Grant opened up about his uh, dead mum and he says, Oh, he wants someone to pay. So it's kinda of like, why would you not want that? So you I thought, you know, on the, one of the many times I've watched this, oh Grant wouldn't say that. So you're being groomed, Michael Faraday. There's no way your son has said that to that man. So you're thinking that in the scene, you think he's clearly lying, he's grooming you to do something that you wouldn't ordinarily otherwise do. But then you see Brady, which is Tim Robbins' kid, and he's sat on the bench and he's looking sad. Mm. So you think in the same moment, are you sad because your dad never talks to you? So therefore, Tim Robbins is lying. He doesn't open up to kids. He doesn't bond with kids at all. So you're sitting there looking left out because the scene is saying, the direction is saying that man is a liar. He doesn't talk to children because look at his own son. His own son is a bit of a mess. Or is his own son jealous because he can hear him and Tim Robbins is telling the truth because uh, Grant did open up to him and Brady's feeling pushed out. Brilliant. Oh, I thought it was also potentially because... He can't play baseball because he's lost his fingers in yeah. an explosion that his dad made him do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and that's so true. Yeah, and therefore he's sort of like regretting that because now the dad's with someone else. So he made that sacrifice for his dad, who is now yeah. having fun with another kid. Yeah, that's true. Brilliant. A lot going on. A lot in a little scene that I didn't really pay any attention to the first time I watched it. And so, yeah, that investigation, then it becomes clear that uh, Oliver really didn't go to Kansas University. He went to Penn State and his real name is William Fenimore. Then we've got a section I'm calling Fucked Up Field Trip <laughs> because Michael takes his school to Copper Creek where his <laughs> wife was killed <laughs> and he describes to his students how his wife was killed. Yeah. This does not seem professional it's to me. It's an HR red flag, yeah. I think, at best. 
Yeah, he gets and he gets incredibly amped up as he's telling the stories. And as Alex said, we get this flashback. So we see and it is horrific. Mm. The FBI thought they were uncovering this terrorist plot. But really, it was a bloke who was going to sell some guns. I mean, I think to a, to me as a UK viewer, it didn't quite work. It didn't quite have the punch that it should have done because he's saying the FBI got it wrong. These flags should not have gone up. This man had a legacy gift or something and he could afford them. And he just intended to sell them. But it's like, to me, you're like, you were still stockpiling weapons. Like, it doesn't matter to me from the UK if you were going to sell them or not. That to me still seems quite a threatening thing to do. Because if someone did that here, that would be legitimately terrifying. So it didn't quite work for me mm. the but, first time around. But he wasn't doing anything illegal. No. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think what really hits me is the pointlessness of her death. The fact that it was just a stupid mistake. An mm. admin error, yeah. Mm. And, mm. and she loses her eye for it. Yeah. But yeah, so... Weird decision from Michael Faraday here. And then he agrees to let his son go off uh, to scouts. And what I like in this scene where he packs the boy off is that wave that Oliver gives <laughs> yeah. him because it's half a Nazi salute. Yeah. Uh, sort of seeding, you know. That there's some... it's like Nazi youth camp. Yeah. yeah. And there's white nationalism, you know, just bubbling so under the surface. maybe a little bit on the here. nose when the kids are like reciting the thing and they're like, we pledge allegiance to it. And it's like a little bit blunt. It's like clearly you are Nazi youth, but fine. It's fine. Yeah, I, I think there's quite a few things that are clunky in it, but equally, I sort of forgive the film yes. for them because it's just, I just love the way it's all so neatly, um, the, the setup and payoff, I think, works so well all the way through. Uh, now I'm doing a section called A Tale of Three Jump Scares. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not sure if three is too many, but we get three in a row. Yeah. So the first one is when uh, our boy Michael talks his way into the Lang's house. I like little Daffy's face, the little girl. She's went, so scary. <laughs> <Awful>. <laughs> and he's snooping around the study and he, he gets, you know, gets a look at a, a blueprint under a blueprint. And then he gets caught in the act because uh, Joan Cusack walks in on him. Jump scare one. Frightening. Mm. Yeah. Good jump scare. Uh, next, next thing you know, he's in a microfilm reading room, and he's 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 doing more. Uh, essentially, we're watching a guy googling, aren't we? But um, he's more investigating. He he's figured out that Oliver uh, tried to pipe bomb a mailroom when he was sixteen years old, and then jump scare too. Oliver walks in on him. Mm. You've just done the same. You've just it, twice. Mm. Uh, and you should blatantly go for a drink with him when he's like, I just swung by to go for a drink. You should be like, oh yeah, great idea. Like you look so suspicious if you're like, go he? away. He did. He's not <laughs> yeah. very good at this. Um, little break before we get to Jump Scare 3. In fact, we'll have an actual break. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, and we're back. Uh, we've got now got a scene in in in, uh, in Michael's garden where uh, Michael is sleeping with the yearbook open <laughs> on the page. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tim Robbins' character, and it, uh, that's mm, would he, would you just fall asleep with this frightening thing in front of you? <laughs> um, but yeah, Oliver walks in on him and has a massive go at him. Uh, one thing I like here is they make you can see his Christian cross. They make yeah. a real point that he's a Christian here. Um, but yeah, he starts explaining. Oliver starts sort of fighting back, saying, "My." Dad killed himself because the government took his water. He realised he was worth more dead than alive. And I think I think Tim Robbins is a bit over the top in this scene, but it's enough to throw us off balance Definitely. in the way that it throws Michael off balance. Um, and he's telling the truth here, is he? I think so, because the, the microfilm is a real clipping mm. of him being caught having tried to blow something up. Mm. And Pellington wrote this, the, the, the fact that the father had committed suicide because he wanted to give... Oliver, a false sense of sympathy, wanted us to briefly feel some sympathy for this guy. Yeah, because you have to believe him at that point in the yeah. film, otherwise it's a different kind of film. But also, it's just a great way of him turning the tables. So suddenly Michael feels guilty and he feels like he's the villain now. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, you said, did, was that a mistake when you said Pellington wrote this or did Pellington add this scene in? Yeah, Pellington had this scene oh, in. Yeah, it was his okay. idea to have this as, a, right. as a, this suicide backstory. Wow. Uh, it all gets a bit Hitchcockian now. Uh, Brooke, who is, well, I've not really mentioned her, played by Hope Davis, and Michael's uh, girlfriend. Um, she, uh, one of these convenient moments, she's in a car park and Oliver's in the same car park. Yeah, but um, previous to this, I think the, there's that weird moment where Michael is sort of talking about uh, Tim Robbins uh, and sorry, Oliver. And he, he's sort of, he's like going, I don't trust them to Brooke. I think there's something going on. And she immediately goes, did you do this to me before we started dating? Yeah. Which is such a shitty thing to say. Yeah. I thought mm. that was, I thought that made her character, because she goes on to sort of like, obviously have a big switcheroo and go, actually, there's something going on here. But in that moment, it just make, it, it makes her quite unlikable because mm. you are very much like, yeah, finally, Michael is, you know, realises something going on like we have. Mm. And then she sort of makes it about her. And it yeah, seem, you need someone yeah. to be the voice of reason to question Michael. You need that character, but as you say, maybe that wasn't. She comes on too strong too soon. Maybe she should have said because her arc should be about the the she can't replace the dead wife because that's yes. that's quite that's clear and that's a yeah. little bit there. Mm. So she it should be something like stop trying to be your wife, like stop trying to investigate everybody mm. because I'm here now and mm. she's not, yeah. and that's mm. that. 
Nice one, Vicky. That can be your change. Yeah, um, Brooke, yeah, Brooke sees Oliver doing some kind of exchange with a woman in a car in a car park. And, and you think this is intentional? Getting into a different car. Uh, well, because we're getting to jump scare three. Okay. Brooke follows uh, the, him to the Liberty Delivery Service. Bit on the nose, that Liberty <laughs> Delivery Service. Uh, where something's going on with this delivery service. And so she drives to a payphone. She phones and leaves an answer machine message on, on the Michael's answer machine. And then we get jump scare three. The best jump scare. Yeah. Mm. Cheryl standing behind her. <laughs> yeah. Great. Joe, Joe Cusack. But as I say, I'm just a bit annoyed that they did three in a row. I don't think you're allowed yeah. to do that. Well, not just three jump scares in a row. Three of exactly the same jump scares. Somebody's behind you. <laughs> yeah. So for Cheryl to be there, though, I'm guessing she must have been following Brooke, who was following Oliver. Because how is she just suddenly there? Exactly. Mm. Sharping. <laughs> the look on her face, which is like, I'm going to have to kill you and I don't want to, but I will. Well, it's a smile that fades, isn't yeah, it? You see the light go out of her eyes. It, yeah. Um, and yeah, next thing we know, Cheryl's dead in a car crash. Mm-hmm. And yes, uh, this scene made me laugh. Actually. Brooke is dead in a car crash. Brooke is yeah. dead in a car crash. Sorry, there's too many names. Um, Oliver and Cheryl are then comforting uh, Michael. And that made me laugh because it was so dark. Them saying, we're, we're here for you. Yeah, we're really here for I you. I mean, it's funny, hmm? but it's dark. Uh, but it is, <clears throat> I think at that point, it's so dark, it's funny. I certainly, yeah. I certainly think it's, yeah. it's crossed the line into like this yeah. black comedy now. So they've, they've pretty much broken Michael here and he's giving up the investigation. But then we realise that there's been some switcheroo with the answer machine message and he realises that uh, Brooke had left him a message and it's not there anymore. So now he's on a mission. He's on a mission to figure out what's going on. And he does figure out that there's something going on uh but you know this has all been a conspiracy um they've done it before a previous bombing uh that uh, someone was set up so he's he's figured it out basically and he realizes his son's in danger mm. so he goes to get his son but uh oliver has taken his son home so he goes over to oliver's house and that's when he walks in on a party that they're having yeah, it's weird this why are they having a party i don't know i suppose it was in my head it's to celebrate the fact that They're... their plan is going really well <laughs> well, well i you think do that i think it's you know when you go out on christmas eve before christmas day it's like that it's oh no like... i tell you what it is this is what it is this essay must be coming back to me they need people to say to the press when it's all gone wrong for michael right. he he actually gave, crashed a party about two days ago and he yeah. Did seem really unhinged, yeah. and you need as many witnesses as possible. But aren't most of those guests in on the plan? Yeah, like... that's the point. So it's orchestrated. Oh, okay, the whole okay, thing. Okay, they okay. know he's going to go yeah, and find his son. His good. son's not there. So you have a big public event. Yep. So that then you can go to the press and be like, he blundered through this party and he looked deranged. It really... what, did you, what did you get for this essay? It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I wonder. I have yeah. no idea. Right. But then also, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I'm speaking really quickly because I love this film. Um, Tim Robbins also says to him, it'll all be over in a couple of days. Because I always wondered, you know, when you're watching it the first few times, is he going to give him his son back? If he just keeps quiet and doesn't do anything, will it actually be fine? No, because it'll all be over in a couple of days. It means you won't be with us in a couple of days, <laughs> I think. the I, f- I thought this party scene was a bit like the party scene in Cable Guy. I totally agree. The way they shot it, the Dutch <laughs> angles. And interestingly, just like I listened to the Ben Stiller commentary on that, the Mark Pennington uh, commentary here, they both said... This scene was inspired by Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, the, and and that chilling line as well, he says to her, Brooke got in the way, we're on a schedule. So it's so matter of fact, it's just business now. Mm. I, it was a bit eyes wide shut for me when Tom Cruise is at the masked orgy. Mm. 
obviously with less sex. Less, and less masks. Yeah, less masks as well. <laughs> so, so similar in lots of ways. If you take those people in a room. <laughs> you know what it's more like? And I think Ben Stiller would say the same thing about the cable guy. It's more, more like Rosemary's Baby. And then the, the film literally fades out to darkness and then fades back up. And on the commentary, Pennant says, this is the fade into Act 3. Okay. He literally did it. <laughs> he literally made it fade out and in. So uh, Bridges is looking pretty dishevelled now. Um, he's panicked and he sees the van with his boy in the back yeah. and we get the dolly zoom that reverse tracking shot that we love from Jaws and mm. Hitchcock and um, yeah we get this moment where he's chasing the van down and then Michael mani- uh, Oliver manages to crash into him yep. and they have a punch up I mean it's got to be very well coordinated that, yep. to, yep. To, to, to for get that all to work yeah but it does but yeah so they have a fight and you know we're feeling like we're watching our guy get the upper hand Mm. on Oliver which is quite satisfying you want to see Oliver get punched um, you want to see him get him told off or you know told he's a shit um, <laughs> and it, you know it seems like he's giving a confession which is what we want to hear but obviously in hindsight we realise this is just a delaying tactic but Michael's off to save the day and we're fully behind him now even though as he's driving away Pellington does a close up on his boot <laughs> to make us look at his boot Okay. Uh, because, spoiler alert, there's now a bomb in his boot, but we don't know that at the time. But he's telling us because it's good directing, man. He's having, a, he's having a laugh. His phone's breaking up. That's convenient when he's trying to tell the <laughs> FBI what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it feels like almost like Liam Neeson in Taken. It's that kind of sequence mm. where, you know, it's, it's following action movie tropes and we're getting excited because we know how this is going to end. But we don't because we're being tricked. And as I said, Michael's seeing what he wants to see and we're seeing what what we want to see. So, um, yeah, he gets to the car park. What do you think of this scene then? This is so, so, so stressful. Like mm. everything he's just done, they knew, you know, what you would do to save your child in that situation. And, you know, I just watched Prisoners and it's like, fucking hell. So all this is like circling around, like the things that people will do. Mm. And so he's broken quite a few rules that would have been important to him, like he's driven past security and all the rest of it. But this is so pedestrian. And that's why it's good that... It's just a few men holding him back from a van. He's like, I really need to get to that van. And the idea that people are stopping him after everything he's been through to get into the car park is just too much to even bear. Mm. <laughs> and then it goes on maybe slightly too late. Just, like, just let him do it. And then it just builds and builds. Then obviously they pop it open and there's nothing there. And then when you're watching this for the first time, you're just like, what the fuck? Mm. Like, what's going to happen? And that line, the only person who isn't meant to be here is you. <gasps> It gives me goosebumps. It's just, <laughs> oh, it's just wow. And then obviously. So when did you realise what was going on? Do you think first time you watched? Not until it? he not opened, at all, not, until, yeah. not until he opened the boot. And yeah. even then, it was only when it explodes that I was like, they're not going to find a way out of yeah, this. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't believe that was the end. It's only when like you realise. I think even after. I think it took me until, like, even after that, I was like, well, they probably survived the explosion or something, and then he's going to come back and get Tim Robbins and get it. So I, my brain just didn't work on the basis that the end was a win for Tim Robbins. I still don't know. I think I love it, but it just feels like it's from a, a sort of a, a 90s popcorn action movie where Tim Robbins stands on the roof and goes, <laughs> boom. <laughs> It's yeah. a little bit much. It's, I, I get it for his character because he, obviously he's excited about this and he wants to see the explosion that he like the bomb go off. But I don't know whether you'd say boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's very John Travolta in Broken Arrow. Mm. Is yeah, what it is. 
And then we cut to the news. So the explosions happen. We cut to the news over the next few days. And, and uh, you know, they start believing it's the work of Michael Faraday. It's connected to the death of his wife. Mm. Um, and as that news gets fainter and fainter, as we all sort of lose interest, um, they get away with it. But yeah, we, he had. they say his, his behaviour was increasingly erratic. Um, they talk, they describe that Copper Creek visit. You know, they said that they said that. Uh, oh, and then there's a girl who was in his class. Mm, but who, she was part of the... who was part of it. And so she was there right from the beginning in his car. She's at Copper Creek. She's the one who's involved. She's at a payphone, isn't she? A yeah. bit later on. And she's the one who says to camera that Michael said to her, sweetheart, sweetheart, one day those men are going to pay. One day those men are going to burn. And she kind of does a little, almost a little smile. And yeah, that's it. It was the work of one man and one man alone. And we cut to Oliver and his family who are moving on to somewhere new. Yeah. And poor Grant. Oh, it's so awful. Mum's dead, dad's dead, and a massive criminal in the eyes of everyone. And or I think I think about it all the time. So he's off in the care of relatives and he looks sad and he's a child actor and he's doing a good sad face. But and maybe I'm projecting, is there a bit where he doesn't quite believe it? And so the cycle starts again because he's like, my dad, some things don't add up about that day. Victoria, would you like to know about uh, the closed eye version of the ending? Yeah. So they shot this. Uh, you can watch it. It's on the, it's on the Blu-ray. But um, they thought it might make the ending more palatable if the son realises what's happened and sees the truth. Okay. So there's a scene early on where uh, I think his mum, a flashback to his mum telling him that when he's not sure about someone telling the truth or not, he should close his eyes and listen to his heart. <gasps> and so, so... does he just close his eyes in the car? So later in, no, uh, later in the film, we're in the house, Oliver sits him down and tells him, look, your dad was a hero and says a bunch of nice things about his dad. Um, he's the bravest man I've ever known because he believed in something. And while he's saying that, Oliver's closing his eyes because and we know what he's doing he's figuring out he's not he's not believing this guy and then he also the scene where oliver is burning those photos he sees that as well yeah so the kid knows and as he drives away with the family he turns back and he glares at them yeah um because he knows and so that ending is almost like well maybe good ultimately will win or or maybe the maybe the cycle starts again yeah or maybe he will eventually be able to expose them and it's a really good ending. The scenes mm-hmm. really work, but the director said it felt like we were dragging it out, the ending, because there's like four endings then, pretty much. And also, it created this confusion and ambiguity in that audience was coming out saying, well, when's the sequel? Yeah. Mm. And that's not what they wanted to make. They okay. didn't want to make a film that people wanted to see a sequel enough, to. Yeah. And so to make it more clear and concise, they just cut it all out. But it's a really compelling couple of scenes mm. and very upsetting as well. Mm. But yeah, the ending was was um, a bone of contention for everyone. Tim Robbins said that um, he had mixed feelings about it. In what respect? Um, about concluding on a downbeat. He says that there was a meeting among the cast and crew to discuss whether the finale should be scrapped for something a little cheerier. Um, he said it's a discussion that had to be had even though no changes were made so they they got cold feet clearly while they were making the film that we this is just goes too far but mercifully they didn't change their minds it is so bleak though it's not a movie I'm ever going to watch again I can tell you that <laughs> but the big problem I think it makes you kind of weird that you've watched it so many times <laughs> I don't know what it's done to me but um between Chris's intro and you loving this film, mm, you feeling a bit nervous. I feel like the only sane one here, which is rare. <laughs> but Bridges recorded this commentary uh, before the film came out, and it was the first time he'd seen it. Was while he was doing the commentary, and you can tell he's just enraged because the trailer gives away 
that Tim Robbins is the villain. Really? And and so he said, yeah, it's got scenes of Robbins slamming him against a wall and Robbins right. kidnapping his son. And so he felt like there was no tension there. And even when these cool scenes are happening, reveals, Bridges is just going, yeah, well, the audience already knows. People mm-hmm. already know. So he... Fuck he, it. They already know, <laughs> don't they? Fucking movie. He, he, believed, he believed the trader should have set him up as the villain rather than... A potential villain okay. rather, rather than Robbins just to make it more interesting for the audience. And it was released not long after Columbine. Um, it was pushed back a couple of times. So I think the audience, uh, the, the studio was a little bit frightened. I don't think this got the promotion it probably should have got. No, when I watched it, it felt like a movie that I picked off the shelf and went, oh my God, Tim Robbins, Jeff Bridges. Mm. Yeah. I haven't heard about this. So I'm going to watch it. It made $41 million from a $31 million budget, which okay. isn't great. But, um, you know, it's a prescient, important film, I think. In July 1999, talking to Entertainment Weekly, about the film, uh, Robbins talked about the fact that he, they were trying to document what was happening. He, he said, there are fundamentalists everywhere throughout the world, whether they're Islamic or Christian, there are those who believe God is telling them to commit violence and I take them very seriously. And as I say, that was July 1999. Mm-hmm. So we all know what happened a couple of years later. So um, yeah, that's about it. As Alex said, we might have a TV series coming soon. Mm-hmm. And that's your lot. Amazing. Any more for any more? Good for me. Okay. Vicky. Best scene. The ending. Okay. It's good. Alex, the ending. Okay. Uh, also, though, uh, like as a, as a very, very close second, is Joan Cusack's uh, face uh, when she goes, shopping. <laughs> and Brooke goes, what are you doing here? I'm shopping. You're going to die. I'm going to kill you. Shopping. That's what I've got. Really? That's what I've got. But just to switch things up, so we do three different ones. I think the opening sequence, I think, is fantastic as well, yeah. but not as good as the ending or Joan Cusack's face. Uh, most valuable ever, Alex. Tim Robbins. I think he's mm. just incredible here. Um, he's so horrible and so good at being horrible. And I, you just really get, like, f- throughout, you just get this guy's conviction that he is right and what he's doing is right. And uh, yeah, I, the, the the calm that he has, like the way he's never like, like you never feel like he's got the upper hand or like, but he does. Anyway, it's Tim Robbins. Vicky? The ending. And I don't care what you think about that. That's what I'm picking because without the ending, I don't think we would still be talking about this film no. at all. Really? Um and it's why people like me still really love it. And just the minute that Grant pops up in that van, the way that the stress of the situation is written and directed and acted and all of it and the music and everything, it's unreal, unreal. And you just have a minute to recover when he opens the van and there's nothing in there. And then you just your brain is just scrambled and then maybe maybe a beat too late, but then the whole thing goes up and that is just, that's everything. That's why I picked it as my best scene. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Which is where... where should go. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm I'm going for Aaron Kruger because I love this film as much as I hate his Transformers movies. Um, there's... Idiot! They're great. No, I don't yes, like. I don't they like are. the ones he wrote. Um, yeah, he he does the best three. He does Revenge of the Fallen, uh, Dark of the Moon, and Age of Extinction. I'm only half lying. Carry on. Uh, there's some stuff that's way too convenient on a second watch and and relies too much on coincidence, in my opinion, but. It just packs such a punch that um, I think it's a brilliant script. Um, 
change? What would you change, Vicky? So Oliver and Cheryl, Tim Robbins and Joan Cusack aren't even fucking married. They're colleagues. So when they're at the end and they're watching Michael's house and it's all boarded up and the where next, it then becomes really clear that then they're working together. They're not in a romantic or sexual relationship. Um, so then they're, you know, and the kid's been recruited as well, which is really dark because where did he come from? And then they're on to the next one. So either that or if that's too... Um, you mean bit, Grant has been recruited... Jeff Bridges' kid. No, sorry, Brady. Right. Brady, that's what I meant. Um, or maybe let's find out a bit more about Cheryl. So say she is Tim Robbins' actual wife and she actually loves him and sleeps with him and all the rest of it. He does such a good job of having a reason for why he is the way he is and they stole his daddy's land and all the rest of it. But why is she involved? Like, mm-hmm. she does kill an innocent woman and just being married to the man who feels like that is not enough. So he gets a big full backstory about why he's the way he is mm-hmm. and she doesn't. So maybe we could do that. Yeah, I think that's good. Alex, um, Jeff Bridges is, uh, I know he's meant to be angry at the government and demanding answers. And I do think he's, I do think he's great in it, but he's like, his character is very unlikable. And I do sometimes watch it. Well, on the second watch of it, I was just, if he was a bit more likable, if you had more sympathy for him and so... Like he was sort of aware of his anger. For example, when he's giving the lecture at the start and he like gets in that girl's face and then he sort of withdraws and goes, look, I'm sorry. And, you know, and you sort of get that he's struggling with these demons in a way where he's sort of a little bit like, you know, I'm aware that I'm being too much and too intense. And that created this likability that you sort of sympathize with him more. His anger and his intensity you know, I think makes him a little bit like, oh, God, I wouldn't want to be around him. And for that reason, and I'm not saying it's right, it's just what I thought on this watch. For that reason, I just think if he was more likable, it would actually have an, be even more impactful at the end when the good guy loses. Mm. I don't find him a very likable presence in this movie, is the short answer. And I, I wonder if that... Um, that dampens what is already a, a, a huge ending. That's mm. interesting, isn't it? Because when... When you meet Joe Cusack at the party when Brooke and Michael Faraday go over and the kids are playing together and Brady's hand is a little bit better and stuff like that. And she's saying, oh, how did you meet? And she's Brooke has obviously rehearsed this line, like, oh, I was his teaching assistant. And you are meant to think, that's a bit of a dick thing that you did there. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And Joan Cusack's face is like, oh, really? Like, yuck, kind of thing. Like, you replaced your dead wife with someone that worked for you, who we're, I, we're meant to think is quite a bit younger than you, and it's all a little bit murky because mm-hmm. um, you were her boss. I, I, think it, I think the most pronounced thing for me at the end is my grant's going off with relatives. And I did think... He'd probably have a better time with them than he would with his dad, who doesn't seem to have much time for him and is quite abrupt with him. Oh, it's heartbreaking though when he's, he I tells him he can't go to camp and the kid is just going nuts. Like, you said you would let me. And he's like, but I can't. And you've, I've really felt sorry for him because he said he could go and now you can't go, but I can't tell mm. you why. And you just have to listen to me. Oh, that's heartbreaking. And we didn't say it, but the child actors are good in this film as well. You've got the kid from Unbreakable and you've got Dennis the Menace. <laughs> and they both they both do a really really good job I think with the, you know they're learning it briefly but yeah. I think I think they're both excellent. Um, uh, I sort of said this already, but I I think I I got annoyed by that trailer. I saw that trailer and it I did feel like it gave too much away when I went into this film. I wish I'd gone into this film not knowing anything. So I think I thought you didn't watch trailers. Not not these days, but okay. in 1999. Is this the movie that helped you learn that lesson? No, it, in all honesty, it was it was having to go through trailers with a fine tooth comb to write these features around them. It, uh, that did my head in, to be honest. I never want to see another trailer. But yeah, so I, I'm with Jeff Bridges on this. They should have cut a trailer that didn't give away the ending. I think um, the film might have done better. And that's it. 
Right then, the Burbs versus Arlington Road. It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! Victoria, your choices. Yeah, what a day. Hmm? Two days, hmm? sorry. Right, you go first, Alex. So I think the ending of uh, Arlington Road, as we've just discussed, is genuinely one of the uh, most memorable endings that I've ever seen in a movie ever. Mm. And it's fantastic. And I certainly remembered it walking into this viewing while I didn't remember a single other frame of that movie, which, uh, you know, arguably like that ending deserves its place as the, the winner this week alone. But I find it strange that the rest of the movie just sort of washed over me. And I, uh, even talking about it today, I'm like, oh, yeah, that bit. Oh, yeah, that bit. And I whether that's because I knew the ending was coming, so I was just waiting for that moment. The Burbs, on the other hand, is, uh, so you know, nostalgia is a weird thing. And I did watch it. Uh, <laughs> We're saying that a lot on this podcast. <laughs> I did watch it again this time. And, it, you know, I think so much falls flat. There's some really rubbish slapstick moments in there. You know, it's like... Are you intentionally doing the Three Stooges or are you just doing a guy whose hose isn't long enough to reach his friend? I'm not sure. Um, but there's something about the atmosphere that that movie creates that is just like so off kilter that I really love. So it's a very tough week is what I'm saying, Victoria. But my answer for which of these movies is getting my vote this week is going to The Burbs. Wow. Yeah, it's the movie I will be watching again where I was. I will never watch Arlington Road again. I find that personally offensive, given how many times I've watched it. That's why I said it. <laughs> what about you? I just do not get the burbs, okay. so I'm not going to drag this out. But I don't, I don't find it funny. I, I, I think it's quite boring, and I think they really, really fumble the ending. If they'd figured out how to end that movie, I think I might like it a bit more. But as it stands, I'm just. It just makes me shrug. I'm like, oh, well, whatever. It's, there's nothing there for me to grab onto. I think Arlington Road is fantastic. Um, absolutely delivers and I think it also what adds to it is it genuinely has something to say about the media and about domestic terrorism about where America was at at the time and it looks like a really important film 20 years later to be honest so yeah it's no contest this week Arlington Road <gasps> Okay so it's one each which means it comes back to you as it should these were your choices I, I've written down what I think you're going to go for <laughs> Really? Uh, I'm sorry for doing it yeah. <laughs> really? I'm pretty sure I, I know what you're going to go for but you know in theory there, I, I, you know from everything you said this is a close one for you This right? has never been closer Oh wow I, I can't decide Okay So I haven't decided so this is going to be a bit even more rambling than usual so the the weirdness of the birds it feels like really personal like it was written for me like all that sort of um, you oh, know, you're really nervous about this decision. You're wrapping a wire like a tourniquet around your arm. That was disturbing, wasn't it? Why did you stop her? She might have passed out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How tense are you? Just don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> sorry, that's so weird. You don't want to get my opinion wrong. I don't want to get my own opinion wrong, do I? You know what I'm like. I can't be getting that wrong. Um, where was I? So yeah, the, the, and it's a duvet movie and all of that. And I, I do genuinely, I just love it. I love it like it's a person but then Arlington Road and just talking about it now like I could talk about it all day and I have seen it dozens of times and I still want to talk about it and I still want to watch it and I will watch it again so here right, here we go here is the reason and this breaks my heart to do this but that's what this show is all about so we're here to break hearts so it's a tiny tiny thing the conveniences in Arlington Road Tim Robbins popping up and John Cusack popping up I believe are there on purpose and there's one massive convenience at the end of the burbs, which is the um, the Clopex call the police 
because they know that Tom Hanks has broken into their house. If they've been burning bodies, they wouldn't call the police. That's the only reason I can come up with. So I pick in Arlington Road. What called it. No! Yeah, I knew you'd pick it. I had a feeling. It feels like the movie that you're going to But it's that pettier decision. You know, it's, there's nothing... I know they're completely different films, apart from the overarching Neighbours thing, but... It's also better. I mean, I don't see that. I, I, I do. I mean, I do and I don't. It's, a, it's like nostalgia is a weird thing. It's, it's a, you know, I tend to watch movies. If I'm re-watching a movie, I tend to be in the mood for something that is going to relax me. And Arlington Road will never relax me. Whereas The Burbs, I will watch again and again because of its duvet effect. So yeah, that's, but that's, I do think as well, like, into my what mind. you said, like where we are, you know, however many years later, the themes of the film, there was a brief moment where it was like, in terms of a threat to the US, it was terrorism from overseas. And now we're back where we were in Arlington Road. That's a very sad state of affairs, but it's still important. So mm. it kind of, I suppose it kind of wins on that. That's not its fault or doing, but there we are. Mm-hmm. <gasps> wow. You've made your call. Yeah. <laughs> we have a winner this week then. Congratulations to Arlington Road, 1999's Arlington Road. Congratulations, Mark Pellington, Jeff Bridges, Tim Robbins. <laughs> John Cusack, everyone involved. Just everyone involved. <laughs> well done. Big day. Aaron Kruger. Aaron Kruger. Sorry, Aaron Kruger as well. Yes. Uh, for his brilliant work on the Transformers franchise. <laughs> I love those films. Uh, right then. So uh, it was Vicky's choices uh, this week. Arlington Road wins. My choices next week. Uh, the clue I gave you on Monday was till death don't us part. Till death us don't part. <laughs> No, 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 don't, don't. You're right. You're right. You're right. I'm just messing with you. Uh, right. Oh, uh, I haven't asked which uh, which you want, uh, Chris. Just because you're nearer, uh, which one do you want? I think I'll take the first one. If if unless Vicky's got a no, preference, no, as in chronologically. Yeah. Right. Okay. Which means, uh, Chris, you are taking the Julia Roberts vehicle, sleeping with the enemy, whereas Vicky is in the company of Ashley Judd in Double Jeopardy. Wow. Sleeping with the enemy versus <laughs> Double Jeopardy is, is going to be fun. Next week. This is going to be fun. <laughs> I've already seen Double Jeopardy. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, Right then. So that is your homework uh, for the weekend. Sleeping with the Enemy and Double Jeopardy. Oh, I did look this up. Sleeping with the Enemy is available on Apple. They're both available to rent on Sky Store. And if you don't have Sky, then Sleeping with the Enemy is available to rent uh, for £3.49, I believe, on Apple. And Double Jeopardy is uh, available on Amazon and a fair few other places. So... I think I actually is it on Amazon or is it oh, on Alex? No, there's an important thing to say. Well, it's either on Amazon or YouTube. Right. You're right. It's on Amazon or YouTube. Basically, they're you available. You said it was on Apple, I think, didn't you? No, that's Sleeping with the Enemy. Okay. Anyway, they're available to rent all over the place, uh, apart from Sleeping with the Enemy, which is just an Apple. <laughs> Good. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple, where we definitely are, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Congratulations, Arlington Road. Back on Monday talking Sleeping with the Enemy. Bye bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.